friends and welcome to another edition of dan and benny in the ring i'm dan spashano joined as always by the bs express himself benny scala benny how you doing buddy dan i'm going to throw you not a baseball reference this time i'm going to throw you a football reference so in in super bowl three 1969 joe namath predicted the impossible he guaranteed that the new york jets would beat the baltimore colts in super bowl three which is exactly what they did 16 to 7 and now look at uh, super bowl look at joe he's uh doing commercials for social security and he's drunk drunk on the sidelines trying to kiss reporters but so i mean but at that time he was a legend so you got to excuse my little pup here but i'm guaranteeing that this is going to be a great show i like it and you you use the word benny we we say it more often than not on the show the word legend is thrown around far too often especially in today's in today's atmosphere with the legend shows where the word legend does clearly doesn't mean what it used to. But tonight we're going to talk about a real legend. Anybody that's watched wrestling, uh, a lot of our, our core audience, I know his name's come up on the show numerous times. Benny, we have, uh, we're going to go back to what we've done before. It's always been great. And that's talking to the family, the people that live the experiences. Why don't you tell everybody who we've got on the, on the line with us and what we're going to talk about tonight. So, like, you know, the term legend is is used very loosely in professional wrestling. But here, not only does it absolutely apply to this gentleman as, you know, as regards being a professional wrestler, but the man also dominated the world of judo. Not only, and, and uh, I'll, I'll be corrected if I'm wrong here, not only did he win an Olympic medal in the 1976 Olympics, he won the Pan American Games twice, and I believe he won five national championships. So this this man dominated a very competitive world, and then he <clears throat> decided to be a professional wrestler, and he and he lit the wrestling world on fire. So we are very excited to be joined by Francis Coage, the the daughter of Alan Coage, who we all know and love as uh, Bad News Brown. Francis, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hey, thank you for having me. Pleasure. <laughs> Again, thank thank you so much for your time. I know um, I want to get started with something you mentioned before we we got on the air. Uh, you you said you want to get the story out, and and Benny obviously uh, pro wrestling stories is going to be involved in this. But you mentioned there's a book in the works. Uh, you mind talking about that? Yeah, we're we're so excited. It's been a while and my mom's been, you know, going through some grief, you know, losing him was hard for us. So she put it on on hold for a bit, but it, it is coming out after Christmas. It is. Yeah. Not sure of the title, <laughs> but it is a autobiography of him and what he's done in his words, because he actually taped a bunch of stories and uh, my mom's transcripting them for him. So it should be pretty interesting. That's great. We, we've had multiple guests on the show that have talked about the the style of the autobiography where it's basically, it, it, like you said, it's just transcribed stories. And yeah. Benny and I have both read several of those. And those books always are always incredible because hearing the first person perspective just provides such a unique glimpse into stories that you wouldn't have ever heard otherwise. Definitely. My mom's, I said to my mom about um, Davy Boy and him, because I guess they had a lot of experiences. 
And my mom's like, I can't do it. And I said, why not? She goes, you just can't do it. Some of those stories just can't be told. So it's pretty cool. I hope she puts one or two in and changes some names, but we'll see. (laughs) Names have been changed to protect the innocent, right? Yes, of course, because they are all so good on the road, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Benny talked about it in the intro. Um, Obviously, other than other than your father being known for all his accomplishments in wrestling, he is a very was accomplished before he entered wrestling in judo, winning uh, a, an Olympic medal, winning gold in the Pan Am Games in Winnipeg and Mexico, and and being one of the highest ranked judo masters in the world for a good stretch of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious if if it's something he'd ever talked about, but what made your father decide to transition from judo into wrestling? Well, I know that judo was like the one thing in his life he loved the most, but money. He couldn't, he wanted to open a judo school and he wanted to like train, you know, judo to young kids. I don't know where he wanted to do it. I don't know if it was New York or Canada or Florida or wherever, but there was no money. And so somebody told him about Japan, like while he was in Japan with um, the judo stuff. And he just went and started it and he liked the money, (laughs) plain and simple. He did not like wrestling. He liked his persona and he liked being a badass. But his attitude in the ring was because he really did not like it. (laughs) So basically he took it out on everybody. So wrestling was money, pure and simple. I can understand that. Um, yeah. Speaking speaking of judo, I, I'm curious. Your your father in 1976 is Montreal. He won the bronze medal in judo. He, he was actually the first African American to win a solo medal outside of boxing and track. It was really a huge accomplishment at the time. Did did that? Did he ever act, act or talk as if that meant something to him, or was it just? I don't want to say another trophy, but did, did he did he ever act or understand how important his win was for for the sport itself? He was really proud of it, but he was really disappointed because he should have got the gold. And um, they I don't know, something happened. I don't know if it was the referees or they 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 did something wrong, but he should have gotten the gold. He was he was pretty upset about it. But he was very proud and but he was very humble because, I mean, I had to look things up to find out stuff about him when I was little because he just didn't really talk about himself all that much. Francis, uh, so he trained under Antonio Inoki and listening to some of his shoot interviews, he, I, I get the impression he had a lot of uh, uh, respect for Antonio Inoki and so, and then he started wrestling in Japan professionally. Mm-hmm. I guess what what made him go over to Japan and then stay there for a bit, as opposed to you know training here and starting in the states. Well, I think they have a more. It's a more judo. It's more judo moves in wrestling in Japan, right? Um, the Japanese like to see judits like judo. I don't know how they say it. But they like to see that more martial art kind of wrestling than they do the wrestling that you do here. So it was an easy transition for him because it was already something that he was doing. And the crowd just loved him because he was a big black man that knew how to do judo, you know. You know, just listening to him speak, 
I, and this is just a projection on my part. Um, I, your, your dad was all about respect. And it seemed like, you know, in Japan, there is a lot of respect for professional wrestling and wrestlers. Yeah, they do. They respect them a lot. He was loved there. He, he'd walk down the street and people would like just crowd him as he was walking. You know, they would like mob him and my mom when she was up there with him. She said she got mobbed by a bunch of them coming out of there because they just they, they loved him so much. So two other quick questions. Um, did he wrestle as a babyface there? Uh, number one and number two. Uh, and now this is according to WrestlingData.com. He wrestled there under the name of Buffalo Allen. So had, did, did he come up with that or did the promoters come up with that for him? Um, he came up with it. It was Buffalo Allen, Buffalo Allen Bill, his very first professional wrestling name, which was him. And sorry, what was the next question? Well, I mean, so where did, where did he get the Buffalo part from? That, I, a- I don't know. Like, honestly, I never really asked him about Buffalo because when I was with him, it was Allen, right? Bad news, Allen. Everything was Allen, right. Allen, Allen. Mm-hmm. So the old, the other names is came later and i was like wow dad you had a, quite a few he, he but did, i guess yeah. yeah he just changed them up no the other question was did he wrestle as a baby face there i i heard he did i think I he, heard did. he did for a bit and then he everybody started hating him so he just turned into a heel okay that's what i heard <laughs> guess he beat up somebody that they liked or something i that's kind of the story i heard and so they just switched him up Gotcha. He didn't like being a, a baby face anyway. He liked being mean. <laughs> well, I have a, I'm, I'm not going to ask it now. I have a follow up question along those lines, but I'm going to wait till later to ask it to you. Sure. Well, keeping chronologically, we, we talked about it a little bit before we went to record. Um, but it, obviously, his career in Japan, it, it, history remembers his run from Japan to Calgary. Uh, straight after, but he actually debuted in the WWF. This was in the beginning of 1979 uh, under his real name and seemed to get like a big push. I mean, he was win, 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 pretty much going over any everybody he got in the ring with in dominating fashion. There's a, a handful of clips you can find of some of his early stuff. Um, I, Benny, you mentioned uh, doing some research. It looks like during that entire run, his only clean loss was to Steve Travis, who won Rookie of the Year. Um, really, it, it. I'm curious because you mentioned that you you were surprised by that. Uh, so I'm wondering if you if you know why he left the WWF so quickly at what seemed to be the top of his game. I have. I, I didn't even know he was in there before he was in there. I had no clue. I saw the clip and I was shocked. I'm um, gonna I'm gonna venture a guess is that he probably didn't like one of his payoffs, and he probably, probably told the McMahon's that he didn't like his payoff. That'd be my guess. He he loved Japan and he loved the money there. They made a lot of money, like they got paid US ten thousand. I heard once for a match, and that was cash. So he. he I don't know, the whole glitz and glam, the TV stuff, he wanted it, but he also liked the money. It comes down to that. Because I think he was saving, he's trying to make something for himself, you know, outside of wrestling. So, I'd have to, well, we have to buy the book. I have to buy the book, too. <laughs> We're going to buy the book. 
I was going to say what <laughs> Benny and I will definitely be first in line to get that. <laughs> I'll send you guys a copy. No problem. Just curious, is this uh, entirely your through through you and the family or do you have an outside writer helping you? I know some of the some of the same names come up when people talk about having books written on past wrestlers. No, my mom is doing it actually herself. My okay. mom went to, you know, she went to university and she did a bunch of writing classes and um, she's, she's amazing. She, she can write for days. She's just, a, she's got it all, all the talent in the world. So no, it'd be her. He wanted her to do it. So. So uh, now after that, his, um, he did go back to Japan. Uh, I guess it was in January of 1980. So now instead of uh, Buffalo Allen, He's bad news, Alan, and he wrestled there for about two and a half years. Um, were you guys with him at that time, or were you still in the states? Um, I was. We were actually in Calgary or in Edmonton. So, my mom met him before. I think it was eighty-one. She met him or eighty, and that's when um, they got together and moved to Calgary, but he was still working for Japan and he was working for Stampede Wrestling. So he was going back and forth. So, I mean, if you had a guess how many times he flew to Japan, oh, what, what would you think? Goodness. We had, um, he was gone quite a bit. Like for the first, I think two or three years of their, their marriage, he was gone for a month and then he'd be home for about two weeks and then he'd be gone again for a month. He was traveling all over Mexico, Japan. He was doing a bunch of different stuff. So when he when he was back in Calgary, he did wrestle for Stampede. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he moved from Australia. Actually, he was living in Australia before he moved to Calgary with my mom. He was living in Australia. Yeah. So when they met, he just decided to move to Calgary. <laughs> now, after a while, like there was a a wrestler called his name was Dick Byer. Um, wrestled back in the sixth, actually, probably in the 50s and 60s as the uh, destroyer. And after a while, I, I probably in the early 70s, uh, he actually went to Japan and he stayed there. And I mean, he became he had his own TV show, he was, I mean, a, a, a folk hero in Japan. I mean, after a while, after a, a, a number of these trips, and I think you alluded to, to it before, like. Was your dad a celebrity or at least a you know, semi-celebrity there where you know, people would recognize him on the street and things like that? Most definitely. They had like posters. He had a few he brought home where people would put posters up of him, his head, and use him in their advertisement in Japan. So I think one was a, a brothel. <laughs> he had this picture of his and then another one was um, some poster for some restaurant. My, I was like, what is this, Mom? She's like, oh, he's famous over there. So, yeah. Wow. yeah. They used his likeness a lot over there. I think he's got, like, the – it's the head, you know? Dan, Dan I'm not going to make any hooker jokes. I, I, you I know, promise. I was just about to say. No, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be good. This, I'm going to be good. We have a lady here. Oh, you know, it's although, okay. <laughs> although I'm picturing that, that famous face he would make when he was pointing – that that's that was hanging over the front, you know. That's oh, yeah, that's absolutely. that's what you have you to know deal with. If you don't pay. It's crazy. So. Like you would think, why, right? But it was. It was nuts. You know when when I first saw him, I mean, I I, I was probably, gosh, I was in my thirties, and you know, I I kind of I kind of knew the score with wrestling, you know, for a long time by then, 
And, you know, so, I mean, some guys look scary and I kind of think, yeah, that guy really looks scary. And I kind of laugh when I saw your dad, it's like, holy crap, this guy really is scary. Like <laughs> try being his daughter. <laughs> well, try even being try, daughter, try being yeah. his daughter's date. I can only imagine how oh, that yeah. went. Like, you want to hear a funny story about that? I have oh, one. Yeah, please. Of course. <laughs> so my sister obviously was older than me and, um, she had brought a boy home. He wanted to take her on a date. So my dad um, took him down into the basement with his samurai sword. And I'm talking a real samurai sword. Like he got this from Japan. It was an honor to him for his judo. And he was holding the sword in the hand. And the poor kid was basically shivering and crying and scared. <laughs> he ran out of that basement and he just, he didn't even take my sister out that night. He's like, I can't deal with this. And he took off. Uh, he he joined the seminary after that. <laughs> now he's, he's, he's Father Dave now. He's, right. Yeah, he was he was scary. First, I, first, I was hoping you'd tell me that he gave him the ghetto blaster too on the way out. Like, <laughs> well, that, that one ran quick. There was one guy he did beat up really bad though, and that poor guy was in a body cast for a hot minute. Oh man! <laughs> you could just see in Calgary all the all the guys that me and my sister were dating because they all had a cast or a black eye. <laughs> Imagine if you're on a if you're on a dating service, you'd have to put a disclaimer. My dad is bad news brown. Like yeah. proceed at your own risk. That was yeah, that definitely. was one that was one of the boxes you checked at the army recruitment <laughs> office. I remember one of my boyfriends fell off a chair when my dad walked in my house. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, yeah, by the way, that's my dad. He's on the floor. That's funny. Yeah. That's too funny. You know, Obviously, you talk about traveling back and forth in Japan. You mentioned you were in Canada at the time. Uh, you, your father made his debut in Calgary. This would have been 1982. Um, he, uh, Bad News Allen, obviously. And within just a few months, he won the premier championship, which is Stampede North American heavyweight title uh, from a kid named Bret Hart. Benny, you think anything ever came of him? I haven't. I'm not really <laughs> sure. I think so. Yeah, I mean, maybe that maybe that Bret kid became something i don't know but the uh uh for i mean Stu hart was one of the most respected promoters in in the world and to put the title on a relative newcomer especially having his son drop the belt who he was building to be obviously the next big star of the world uh, i mean that has to speak volumes of what Stu hart thought of not just your dad as a person but his capabilities as a performer and being in calgary i mean the the We've heard stories of it. It's it's hard to describe how popular the heart wrestlers were in Calgary versus the talent in other territories, maybe Bruno in New York. But being a big name in, in the Calgary promotion made you a celebrity in Canada. And I was wondering if, if you had any memories of Stampede or any stories your dad might have shared around that time or if he spoke of how important that win was to him. Um, he, he was pretty proud, but I'm, I say to my mom all the time, like, you know, how come dad didn't really, you know, go for titles and want belts and stuff. And he's like, he, he didn't care really about it. it. He knew who he was and what he was doing. And he went in there and made everybody hate him and everybody angry and cheering. And that was his belt. You know, that was his, that that's what he took home with him. He didn't need a belt to uh, make him feel good about himself. He was a very proud man. <laughs> if you guys would have known him in person, very proud. 
but didn't really give a crap. Like, I'm sure he liked it, but it wasn't such a big deal. Well, you, you know, a lot of heels are, you know, they call them the cowardly heels where, you know, at the first sign of trouble, they're, they're backpedaling. Your dad mm. was, he was the polar opposite. He just was, I mean, he was a badass. And I mean, he, he took no backward steps and he actually won that title five times, the, the stampede. <laughs> so even though he didn't really care about belts, I mean, for Stu Hart, who, you know, will go down in history as one of the, the best promoters of all time. For him to put that belt on on somebody not named Hart five I times. Hate to, I hate to say that. Sorry to cut you off. But, yeah, he loved my dad, like, so much. Like, he well, loved him. I, I was going to ask you, like, you know, did, did you ever go to the Hart house? Or do you have any any memories of the Hart's? Yeah, we went. I When we were little, like, when he first started and we first moved to Calgary, we used to do the whole Sunday dinner thing with um at the Hart house with everybody. And then as my dad would start traveling more, it was like less, but we, we, we've been there a couple of times. Yeah. And he'd cook a dude cook breakfast for us. So it was pretty cool. Sunday morning after their Edmonton and Calgary runs are done. That's where everybody would go. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine the breakfast table. Do they have like about five or six <laughs> tables? Like, you know, Oh, it, I, from what I remember, I was really little and his kitchen was huge. Like it was massive. So there was a lot of people running around, like a lot of kids, a lot of men, a lot of, you know, wives. So it was, it was a full house. It's big. <laughs> so um, you, something I wanted to ask you that, you know, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, they, they always heralded him as he became a rookie at the age of 36. And he did accomplish a lot in the world of professional wrestling. But and I love I love DDP. I actually do DDP yoga. Great guy. But your dad was he became a rookie at the age of 35, right about the same age. And nobody really mentions that, which kind of bothers me. And I mean, it, he almost wrestled like he had a lot of catching up to do. Um, mm. Did he ever say to you, like, you know, to, you know, to your mom? You know, I, I wonder what would have happened if I broke into wrestling at 25 instead of 35. Did he ever talk about that? I think he he knew if he would have did it earlier, he would have accomplished way more. But that man was busy, busy, busy with like judo and traveling. And he just he every it's like every stage of his life, he started a new chapter. And I think wrestling at that time was when he was ready to do it. So. I don't think he would have wanted to do it in his 20s. He's kind of a bad guy <laughs> running the streets, you know, getting into bar fights and making a muck out of in New York, you know, doing all those bad things. So maybe he, he to, just matured. He had to grow a little <laughs> bit. You grow up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he had to us. grow up a little bit. Wow. <laughs> but he did. I mean, he, he made up for lost ground big time. Speaking of hit the ground running, uh, you know, transitioning from Calgary in mid eighties, 85, 86, your, your dad showed up in Florida 
And it was basically a repeat of his debut in Stampede with Stu Hart. He comes in, and within the first few months, he defeats Lex Luger, Ron Simmons, and Kevin Sullivan for the Southern Heavyweight title, the Florida Heavyweight title, and the uh, Bahamas Heavyweight title, obviously NWA, all of them. Um, and, the, I mean, the, the NWA Southern Heavyweight title and the Florida Heavyweight title were two of the more prestigious belts period in wrestling because of how respected the Florida territory was. I mean, it's, excuse me. One, how did your dad wind up in Florida? And if you know that, that part of the story and two, was it, was it the same concept here? He comes and the promoters in Florida, just uh, here's a good man. Who's a great in-ring talent. Who's a believable tough guy, badass for lack of a better term. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your dad's time in Florida because it was at such a dominant run. His, I like I said, don't really know a lot about Florida, but I know that he was going wherever they wanted him to go because he was he was pushing the circuit. So he was trying to make a name for himself, however he could, wherever he could, just to get you know the recognition, the pay, meeting the right people, being you know. So he never really said no to work ever. So I just think that was one of his, you know, things that he needed to do at that time. Probably called and said, oh, bad news. Come and do this for me. He probably did. Everybody liked making him like the ultimate bad guy, right? They liked to put him on the top with all the, like, Jake the Snake and all the Abdullah and, and all the top guys wherever he was wrestling. So I think that they liked his his persona and his stage presence and the way he did his business. Tell you what, coming in, Woody Benny, uh, in in ninety days and beating three of the biggest names in wrestling, in, you know, at the time, that's that's a heck of a. I'll just follow the money, huh? And and you're yeah. talking about another. I mean, Florida is one of the you know the greatest territories ever, and Eddie Graham's going to go right on the Mount Rushmore of uh, great promoters. So I mean, between Stu Hart and Eddie Graham, like two of the greatest wrestling minds ever, you know, decided that I'm going to invest in this guy. This guy's got it. And they, they, they had him beat everybody, and they put, put belts on him. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, because if, I know that Stu sent him a lot of places, right? I know Stu got him into Mexico. I know Stu got him around, like, where anywhere else he was traveling other than Japan when he was doing Stampede Wrestling. So Stu really put, put my dad out there. He really loved him like a son. Was Stu the one who recommended him to Vince McMahon Jr. for the this, his second WWF run, which he started in uh, uh, February 1988? Was Stu involved? 95% positive on that. It was Stu who pushed him there because I know that some other guys were going up and Stu wanted my dad to go with them. Although the other thing, too, is, I mean, I, I would think by that time, you know, your dad was in Florida, your dad was in Stampede. Uh, your dad, you know, was, you know, was in Japan many, many times. I'm thinking by that time he could have written his own ticket just, just by his own reputation. Yeah. He didn't really, I don't know. I don't think he really liked the WWF that much. I think that he tried to avoid it as much as possible. So I wish he would have, but anyways. <laughs> well, we can talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> would you like me to? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to ask some questions about that we're, for sure. We're we're definitely going to get to. To that run, we want to save the best for last. Yay! Yeah. 
Well, speaking of of Stu, after uh, Florida, this would have been within the year. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Between April 1987, uh, he was back in Japan, and then December 1987, he's back in Calgary. Um, I'm curious, one, you, you didn't really talk about, uh, obviously you said he didn't really talk much with Florida and Stu just kind of had him bouncing around. Um, mm-hmm. Was, I guess, did, did he say anything as far as, because you, you talked earlier about his many trips back and forth to Japan. Was 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 Calgary and, uh, and Japan, were those kind of the second homes of, you know, they, they how they say uh, you can't go home again. You know, um, I finished my my run here. I'm going to go back to Calgary. I'm going to always end up back in Calgary or Japan. Yeah, pretty much. He whenever they called him to go do a run in Japan, he would go and Stu would just let him. I think he got more serious about the stampede just before he left, to be honest. So when things were just getting really big, he just. You know, with wrestling, he popped over to the WWF. But Japan was always his first choice. I could tell, you know, he loved it. Even though he was away from us, long periods of time, a lot of travel. It was like his home away from home. So so when he finally got to the WWF, Francis, in February 1988, again, same thing. He's beating everybody. I have a list here. Bret Hart, Hacksaw Duggan, Ken Patera, Tito Santana. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody and everybody. And, mm-hmm. you know... Now, now in WW in the WWE, um, I gag even when I say that. But but now, uh, you know, belts are are meaningless props. But back then, the Intercontinental Championship was you know usually given to the guy who was kind of like you know the chosen one, the next in line to be a future champion. And at least in my opinion, you're you know based on what your dad did, he easily warranted to get, to have that belt. And I know that you said that. Belts didn't really mean anything to him, but I mean, just you know, from a from a, a, a an achievement point of view, he deserved that. Did he ever say anything as to why he didn't get a, ch- a shot at that title? I think a lot of it had to do with because he was black. To be honest, putting a belt on, you know, the not normal white guy is it was way before the time that they should have. I think Vince just wanted to keep him the baddest heel and keep him entertaining everybody and and kind of like yeah they did they should have given him more they should have given him a title they should have given him given him a shot I mean the, all the people he wrestled I remember Andre the Giant he flipped that man like how do you how <laughs> how do you pick that man up and flip him he deserved a lot but I think he just he just put it aside because he's like, well, I'm not going to sit here and fight with Vince because he's a dick. So why bother? You know, <laughs> like, right. why bother? It, it sounds good to hear somebody else say that besides me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had less than kind things to say about him on this show. That's actually almost a compliment, you know? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. He didn't really, he didn't, he didn't push for something he knew he wasn't going to get at the time it was. So if I can circle back for a second, when your father came in, this is his second run WWF. This is when he became, he adopted the persona of bad news Brown. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, was that something he came up with? Was that a McMahon thing? Do you know the origin of the bad news Brown gimmick or name? Um, There was another wrestler named Alan 
and the same at the same time as my dad. And actually, my dad came in there with the ultimate warrior because my dad was the ultimate warrior before the ultimate warrior was the ultimate warrior. So he changed it to Brown because Vince didn't want to have too many people with the same name, Alan, which was stupid. I don't think my dad should have ever changed his name. When they told me he was going to do that, I was so mad because I thought, why you built this name? This name's all over the world. Why do you have to change your name? You know? So, yeah, he wasn't, he, I don't think he, he wasn't happy about that at all. You know, the, the WW at that time was still a WWF was, they were famous for that. They'd have, you know, Kurt Hennig mm-hmm. came in and I mean, you never really, you rarely heard the, the, the name Kurt Hennig. All you heard was Mr. Perfect. Now, yeah. of course, that was one of the best gimmicks ever. But another one that really resonates with me is Barry Wyndham. Um, I think it, I'm pretty sure your dad wrestled Barry Wyndham and um, many times probably in Florida. And he came in as the Widowmaker. Now, everybody, anybody who was a wrestling fan knew that <laughs> this is Barry Wyndham. Like, why are you <laughs> insulting my intelligence? You know, kind yeah. of the same thing with your dad. Like, we, we know who this guy is, won't you? You know. Yep. Why, why do we Vince need to change also, his name? I think Vince also wanted to own it. And I think it had been harder for him to own Alan because my dad was using that for years and years and years before Vince. So I don't know if it was his way of being able to sell merchandise and use a name that didn't really belong to him, but belonged to him. It's Vince's name. It's not my dad's. Like I said, I was very angry. <laughs> the, your your father ended up with the... Uh... Hey, Benny, I'm, I'm the one that always kills me is is Carrie Von Eric, where yeah, towards dude. the end it was it wasn't just the Texas tornado Carrie Von Eric. It was literally just the Texas tornado. Yeah. Oh, and you can't you can't use the claw anymore. And we're never going to mention that you were ever a Von Eric or that you had wrestling families. I mean, they, they was like they, same thing. Same thing with your father. They basically rewrote entire chunks of his past on it's screen. And I, I mean, when you have a guy that's built as this dominating mm-hmm. badass i'm gonna come in real life tough guy why would you not acknowledge that he's a multi-time judo champion and he's you know he's dominated all over the you don't have to specifically name the territories but he's been beat breaking noses all you know and breaking mm-hmm. arms all, all over, over the globe the world, for yeah. 10 years I, you know here he comes but no it's just here's this this tough guy from the street like he walked in the back door yeah, and, and like he just, was nobody yeah <laughs> when yeah, he was nobody and people still ask me oh your dad is 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 this is brown and alan the same guy and i'm like oh dear you, you know how much i hate putting brown on all his crap i hate it right sorry i don't mean to call it crap but i will i just want alan i don't want to deal with the brown but i mean that is a part of him and it always will be so i have to deal with it yeah. Speaking speaking of being tough, I mean, Benny mentioned it, you know, obviously there was no title run, but your dad, he ran roughshod. He was one of the mid upper mid-card heels that you if you needed a good match against any of the big faces, you, you would throw Bad News Brown in there. And I mean, it didn't really seem like he was rewarded properly as far as the big moments go. Uh, he was, you know, he had the short pay-per-view matches with Duggan and Piper and, oh, I'll, I'll get to Roddy Piper in a second. Um, <laughs> but you know, neither of those matches really ended in a true finish. And uh, to kind of spin off, spin off that was uh, your dad was involved in several of the early Survivor Series matches. And every single one, 
he gets bumped into by a teammate. He does the, you know, mm-hmm. screw you guys. And he walks out because he's mm-hmm. such a tough loner. He can't even mm-hmm. be on a team. And, and it, it, in hindsight, I mean, yeah, I get the character in hindsight. It kind of feels cheap because you're basically having the toughest guy in your, on your team, just walk out in the middle of the match. And, and I'm wondering if he ever felt other than obviously his opinions of McMahon, did he ever feel shortchanged or talk about, talk about it that way? Um, yeah, especially the run with Jake, the snake, that one was really hard for him because they wanted to keep making him run with fake snakes, you know, mm-hmm. like, Oh, you can, you, you can do the fake snake thing. It's, it's not a big deal. You can, it, it's, it, it's a gimmick. And, and my mom and me and everybody else around him were like, no way you actually cannot do that. Like for instance, Arsenio Hall, did you guys hear about that? No, I'm Vince not familiar wanted, with that story. Vince wanted Arsenio to throw a fake snake on him, at him, and him to jump over the couch and run off the stage like a fool. And my mom was there, and she she said, absolutely not. And Arsenio said, there's no way that I'm going to disrespect my brother and throw a fake snake at him. I got him a real one. I don't care what Vince says. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So he treated him, he treated him badly. You know, he should have given him the finishes. Why? Everybody else got one. Why didn't my dad, you know, even with the trophy with Brett, you remember that one where he kicked the trophy and broke it? Absolutely. I was so excited as a kid. I'm like, finally, he's bringing something home because I was so naive to it. And then it was after winning that big battle royal. Yeah, it was broken in a million pieces. I'm like, dad, your trophy goes, oh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because I was thinking we'd have that in the living room, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, because yeah. I remember that was that was such a big, what was it, uh, seven feet or eight feet, whatever they were hyping that trophy as. Yeah. It was yeah. taller than my dad, for sure. It was, And he was six, too, so. Right. Yeah. I, I, just a guess on my part, but I think you're, like your dad, um, I think in a couple of Survivor Series, just kind of like walked out on his team. And he was told I actually, to, though. He was told to. Everything is scripted. Every, no, I, I, every single but, but, minute. <laughs> but I think in a, to a certain extent, though. Now, I, I'm not saying your dad like would have like deserted his friends in a fight because he absolutely no. would not have done that. But like, no. your dad was he was his own man. So that kind of in a way kind of enhanced his character because it, it he tr- your your dad truly was his own man, mm. and he really didn't he didn't align himself with anybody. No. They made him, he, I mean, he liked that. He liked nobody knowing who he really was in wrestling. Like he, he liked to keep that. Oh, I'm a badass. I don't care about anybody. I'm, but he was the nicest person in the locker room. (laughs) So, and there, you know, he's, he's big and mean. So it was, it was odd to see him. So, so flip, you know, flip from one person to another, but that's the, that's the person he wanted to be in wrestling. So he didn't want nobody because it's a lot of stress. He said too, with the, you know, having a partner and you have to spend all that time with them and they, they do stupid stuff and you're associated with it. He didn't appreciate that. So he was a no nonsense guy. He didn't really do a lot of the locker room rifting. He was, he was very quiet and very into himself, even in real life. Okay, I can, I can respect that. Yeah. You know, you, you talked about your, uh, your dad's, 
Jake the Snake and and the the box, you know, your dad getting stuck with the box of rats and the being scared and all. Um, I mentioned earlier he your dad had two very short, big pay per view matches against Duggan and Piper. Mm. Going to Piper for a second, um, it's no secret in the interviews he's given he had given in the years following that your father was absolutely in no way amused or enjoyed the half black, half white paint job that Piper had and the, the, the dark speak promo that he did. Um, although he stories are, he kept it to himself and didn't really cause a scene. Um, he, I, I know too, with the interviews, your, your dad mentioned he was very disappointed in the finish of the match, which was really short and kind of a nothing moment. Uh, that could have, you know, it's been edited off some of the broadcasts since, and people don't even realize it's gone. It was so short. Um, but also the payoff, the story is your, your dad's WrestleMania payoff was about a fifth of what Piper got, despite being billed on the same position on the card. Um, was this at least the big, uh, for lack of a better term, because his, your father's been very, forthcoming and hit the comments he's made through the years about Vince McMahon. Was this the end or the beginning of the end? I should say of his run with the WWF, he was misused. And now you're, you're literally rubbing it in his face that he's an angry black guy. And yeah. look at ha ha, you know, we're literally making a blackface joke because we, I care so little about you. Um, I mean, he was, he was back in Japan within a few months and, and really gone from, from the WWF at this point. Um, so that's part one. Part two is in the time since uh, Roddy Piper had given some interviews where he talked about Andre the Giant kind of stood up for your father and that he dumped out the solution that they had brought in to clean Roddy Piper's paint and they couldn't get any more. So Roddy Piper had to fly back to Portland, still half painted, you know, scrub scratch marks where they couldn't get the paint off. Uh, was this kind of a face-saving story, or do you know anything about whether or not that part of it was true? I I'm I know that part was true. He was he was he had to fly back half black, and I think that everybody basically was disgusted and disappointed at where that went. That they were just they didn't even know what to do with themselves. I think all the guys were just like, "Wow, what a blatant! It's just blatant disrespect, right?" Mm -hmm. Vince is just showing my dad who he really thinks, like, what he really thinks of him, which is disgusting. I don't blame Roddy Piper for doing any of that. I think that if you don't do what you're told, you're not getting your money. You're not getting put on shows. You're not, you know what I mean? You just have to conform. Unfortunately, right. that is the way it is with Vince. If you do not do what he does, he wants you to do, you're off the card. You're done. I kind of want to follow up on that a little bit, Francis. So, you know, mm. I, I I listened to this shoot interview he did, and he, he mentioned, you know, very specifically that, you know, Vince lied to him right right from the get-go. He was going to mm. get, you know, Vince told me he was going to get a world title run. Uh, Vince, Vince lied about his money. Vince lied about he was going to have a big program with Piper post-WrestleMania. And none of that happened. And, mm. I mean, just from the little I know about your dad, and I'm going to just, I'm going to do a projection here. I want to see how close I am because I, I can tell your dad's, he's a very, very proud man and, and, and was all about respect. And, mm -hmm. you know, any, a, a lot of us have been in jobs where like you, you know, you, you 
really, if you, you know, if you could, you know, knock your boss's head off, you gladly would. But at the same time, you have a family to provide for. And sometimes you, you know, you, you wind up taking more crap than you really should because you have a family to provide for. And I, I have to believe that drove your dad absolutely nuts. Yeah, it definitely did. He, he did it. He stayed in as long as he did because he wanted to try and, you know, build his TV time in the States and get more recognition and, you know, and he was doing really good. And then Vince basically just pushed him off of his, what would you call that? Pushed him down off of his stand. Pushed him My off. Dad didn't, yeah. Pushed his him off. spot on the ladder. Yeah. There you go. He, um, he was doing really well before Vince. And I think Vince saw that and got like, Ooh, who's this guy? Why is he coming up everywhere else? And why does everybody else have my need to use them to get my money? Basically kind of, th- you know, that kind of thing, just like with Brett and Owen and Chris Benoit and all the other ones that he used over the years, the rock. Vince wanted everybody to be Vince's creation. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think Vince right. had a, a lot of, you know, he had no tolerance for somebody who was their own person. Yeah, my dad didn't, he he would give you respect if you gave him respect. Correct. And if you treated him poorly, then he would show you who he really was. And and you didn't want to mess with that person. Unfortunately, Vince didn't, didn't really get what he deserved from him. But I mean, karma always comes back around. So one day, hopefully. Well, I think my it dad's going to punch him in well, the face harder. You, you saw that in the interviews in the years after he retired for what your father said about Stu Hart versus what your father said about Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. But you, you talk about karma. I want to kind of sidetrack for just a second because mm-hmm. you've, you mentioned some, some opinions you shared before we recorded in, uh, we just did a show on it a few weeks back and it's really dominated the news the last few weeks. Uh, Vince McMahon's had a very public, fall from grace of sorts if that's possible because really nothing in the stories that have come out surprised anybody um but his for lack of a better term the 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 piece of shit that everyone suspected him of being is slowly becoming more and more confirmed publicly Mm -hmm. and i'm curious because your family was so personally affected and i mean there's been any any list uh, article that talks about some of the booking decisions that McMahon's made, the the treatment your father received, which you cannot, I mean, literally Roddy Piper was painted. Like you cannot argue yeah. your father wasn't racially targeted. I'm wondering if you have any, any thoughts, is it maybe mildly satisfying to see the fall from grace and, and some of the bad things that the company's dealing with now because of it? I just always think everything in the dark must come to the light. And if it wasn't what he did to my dad or a bunch of other girls' dads, you know, family members, what have you, he was going to get it. And unfortunately, some men just can't keep their, I don't know how, if I can say that. You can, you can say it. <laughs> keep their dick in their pants. There you go. <laughs> so I knew Vince at some point would, would get his karma. I, I knew from a young age. I'm like, this man is going to be like Jeffrey Epstein. Sorry. They're all going to come out after him. Me too, girls. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so on a lighter note, Francis, uh, you know, every rest, <laughs> every wrestling fan fancies himself as a, as a fantasy booker. And 
Uh, you know, we're no we're no exception to that rule. And mm-hmm. I actually, saw, like I said before the show, I saw your dad wrestle Hulk at NASA Coliseum, and it was kind of a mixed crowd because, yeah, your dad generated a lot of heat, but I got to tell you something: a lot of people were cheering for him, myself included. When he he ghetto blasted Hulk Hogan, left him laying in the <laughs> ring. I'm like, I I'm on my feet, like, and so. I really think, yeah, despite the fact that, I mean, he's the guy who's as lit, legit a badass as they come. Mm. I think if they had worked an angle where maybe like one of the, one of the heels double crossed him, mm. where they, they could have used it to turn him baby face. And I don't think he would have even had to have changed his persona a whole lot. I think he just instead of, you know, beating up baby faces, he, you know, he could beat up heels instead. But mm. I think because you know, back then, you know, that's when the, the merchandise was starting to become a big thing. I think mm-hmm. your dad would have been a gazillionaire uh, it, oh. it, for, for merch revenue. Crazy. Millions. And Vince didn't ever want to do anything. His pictures were always, his autograph pictures that they would put out were always late. He His his um, action figure wasn't really pushed until, you know, he was really up there. They, they could have done a lot with him. They could have done t-shirts. They could have done so many things to make him some money on the side i think one of his royalty checks was a penny jesus they actually sent my mom and him a, a check with a my mom wrote fuck you on it and she sent it back i promise <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> so it cost about a dollar both it, ways yeah it, to send a penny check cost him more money to that send is, a check is, to me it's so disrespectful why even bother showing him like that you know what i mean Right. Dirty. That, that's, that's, that is awful. She wrote fuck you on it. Sent it right I, I, back love, to I love that part of it, though. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it's funny with how, you know, like they say, old is new again. I really mm. think, Benny, a, a face bad news, if he had been just stayed the same gimmick, same character, same promos, you could still call it the, get, the kick, the ghetto blaster. Uh, he it He's is. really... This I I I mean not to use a comparison, but he's the Stone Cold before Stone Cold. Absolutely. He's the he's the, the I'm I'm just I'm out here to punch Definitely. you in the face because I don't like you, and that's good enough for the fans. You know, I really I I think you're onto yeah. something. Absolutely. I really I think, think that. Go ahead. I sorry. I think Vince made Stone Cold after my dad, except white, because in the beer. But, I mean, Stone Cold's got the exact same attitude as my dad did. It's like he created a white version of Bad News Brown. Sorry, Stone Cold. I love him. God love him. It's not his fault. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wanted to get that back. He needed that. There was – who was like my dad after my dad left? Who was like him? There was nobody really like no. like him in wrestling right. anymore. You know? Very fair. And- Looking at at the rosters and as time, you know, the the the, the countless legends that your dad's crossed paths with through his career. Um, did he have any wrestlers that he was very close with, personal friends? I know uh, you mentioned earlier about the uh, Davy Davy Smith, and then your dad's spoken highly of like Dynamite Kid uh, in the past. Is there is there anybody that that really long term that your dad was close with? Oh, they have the this little group, which is really cute. So you guys know Jerry Morrow, right? Champagne Jerry Morrow. Yes. Yeah. And um, Malad. Malad used to be that little guy with the wrap on his head. And um, Gamma. 
so it's more stampede because all the other guys weren't in Calgary. He stayed close, really, really close with Chris Benoit. Actually, Chris was the only one that phoned right after he found out my dad passed. So they were talking regularly up until my dad passed away. He stayed really close with him, but nobody really like the, you know, the rocks family, he was close with them, but we were in the middle of like Alberta. So what do you do? You know what I mean? Right. He'd go to shows and see everybody. And I mean, he stayed close with most of them, but the close ones were the ones that were in Calgary, Malad and um, Gamma and Jerry. They're only their, their little um, group. <laughs> So one question I have to get in, Francis, is the, and your dad spoke at great length about this in his interview, his altercation with Andre the Giant on the bus in Japan. Mm. Andre said some, you know, very disrespectful things to your your father. And I mean, your dad, I mean, made the the bus driver stop the bus and was going to tell Andre to leave the bus. They're going to settle it right here. And Andre, Andre, to all accounts, back down. And I guess the next day your dad saw him at the hotel, Andre got off the elevator and he said, we're going to settle this right now. And I mean, this is Andre the giant, like your, your dad did not back down from anybody. I I, I got to believe after that happened, I would think not that anybody would have messed with your dad before that, but I would think after that, absolutely nobody's going to mess with your dad. Yeah. They, they, they feared him. They actually thought that he was, he was taking his earrings out. I guess I'm putting them in his bag because he was actually going to get, you know, get him off the bus to beat him up because he was <laughs> saying a joke. Did you guys know that? It was a joke and the N word was in it. And we don't, we don't part with that word in my family. So, right. so they saw him bending down and Hogan thought he was going to pull out a gun and shoot Andre on the bus. <laughs> so nobody really messed with him. Everybody was scared shitless of him. Like literally scared that, Oh, bad news is coming. Stop. Oh, bad news is coming. Don't say that. You know, he'd have everybody running away because he was absolutely no nonsense. He was nice and he was polite and he was respectful. And, you know, but he just he didn't he didn't mess around a lot because he didn't have time for that. He said and he was also older. Right. He was in his what, 40s. Yeah. So he wasn't into all that. Oh, let's put hot sauce in your, you know, trunks or some water in your boots. He wasn't really that tight. He didn't start any trouble, but he probably sure could finish it, right? Oh, yeah. I know he protected quite a few of them because, you know, he didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He didn't smoke. So he was always the sober one. And he would watch them just, you know, get litty and do all kinds of stupid stuff, break up hotel rooms and almost get arrested outside of strip clubs and yelling in restaurants because they were all rowdy, you know, living their best lives. Your dad was a smart one. He kept all his money in his pocket. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was. He was pretty. He was pretty frugal. Well, I mean, that's kind of leads to the, the natural progression of the interview. Last question, um, mm. really. How did your dad? Did he ever talk about how he wanted to be remembered? I mean, obviously. Throughout the interview, Benny and I both remembered him as, as a very effective heel. Benny cheering the bad guys maybe more than I did. Um, you know, I mean, his promos were always great. His work in the ring was always great. I, as a growing up in, in a you know karate family, I respected 
the throws and how I hate to use the word, but how very real your dad's moved look moves looked when he tossed mm-hmm. Andre. It wasn't a body <laughs> slam where Andre put his leg on him. That was a straight judo throw. Like he yeah, hip tossed yeah. him down, and that's you know seven foot five hundred pounds of of judo toss. That's that's impressive. I mean, he was a loner, uh, but you, like you said, he didn't party. He didn't play the pranks. Um, he was just a man that was respected and and trusted and carried really everywhere he went. Uh, that was, I mean, my my impression of him would be just that he was he was the respected hard worker, good worker, and that's key, good worker. Everywhere he went, he was the best heel they had, yeah. and, and the mo- I should say, and two the most believable. But how did your dad ever talk about how he wanted to be remembered? I. Uh, he he didn't really like think he was all that 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 big of a deal because I remember when he was um when I was talking to him once about his book when I was really young and he's like oh nobody's gonna want to read a book about me and I'm like dad come on you should be so proud of everything you've done but when he showed me that judo video um I don't know if you guys saw that one they did on some little NBC or some little documentary about his judo and his travel when, when I saw that, I knew that judo was one thing that he'd want to be honored for. Like one accomplish in his li- accomplishment in his life that he was so very proud of. So, so very proud of. So I, I would say it would be his, his judo run, you know, his, his life, his uh, hard work that he put into it, all the, you know, the Olympics is a big deal. <laughs> like, jeez. So, yeah, I think Olympics... With the judo stuff, I think that's one of the most he'd want to be remembered for. Not his crazy, bad news, mean guy. <laughs> you know, he liked that, but he was a whole different whole different man when it came to judo. So judo it is. Fair enough. Well, that was my final question, Benny. Uh, last thoughts to you. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I have to ask you this. So we spent a lot of time talking about Alan Coage the wrestler or the, you know, the judo champion, you know, besides beating the crap out of prospective boyfriends, how was, how was Alan Coage the the dad? What kind of guy was he? Mm, He was really fun. He liked to go and take us like picnics and play baseball. He was always out in the yard doing yard work. He was happy at home laughing. You know, he loved being, he just loved being around us. He he just loved being home and, and himself. And he'd just sit, you know, watch his shows and laugh when he was off. And he basically it was easy until we got to be teenagers. And then he was a little psycho, but <laughs> he was a really good person. He taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about respect and, and honoring myself and, you know, not letting anybody tell me I can't because can't is not a college thing. And, um... Yeah, it was nice. It was really nice. He was a really, really good dad. Like he was a really, really good person. Easy to he taught us everything he could possibly teach us. He was just all around. He was he was happy. And it was nice. It was nice. You could actually see a little bit of it, you know, even like with his shoot interviews, like you know, you, you'd see when him he's smiling. smiling. When you see him smile, <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, underneath all that badassery. There's a good guy in there. I know there is. And now you're, you're verifying if that. You guys, if you guys watch some of his interviews with WWF, you can see his eyes starting to turn. He wants to laugh. 
so bad, but he's holding it in because he just had like, he was just, he, you can, he smiled with his eyes. It was, even when he was yelling at us when we were kids, he'd be smiling with his eyes and he'd be like, okay, we know, you know? Right. Yeah. He, he's a really good man. He's a very good man. Well, I have my final question. Benny had his final question. Before we let you go, uh, thank you again so much for your time. You you mentioned there's a book coming out. Do you have any final thoughts? Any last words you want to say about your your dad before before we let you go for the evening? I just want to say thank you so much. You know for for talking about him still and and making him important in the world because he's so important. So thank you. And the book, you know, we'll keep you posted. He has his Instagram. Yeah, Facebook. And his merchandise and all that. So it'll all come out probably December with the doll or figure. How do you guys say it? I say it's a doll. <laughs> Action figure. It did the same thing. <laughs> Action figure. It's, the book will be out then. So, yeah, keep keep posted. I'll keep you all posted, too. All right. Sounds good. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. And we'll definitely, like I said, well, when everything gets posted, Benny will, Benny will send you all the links. And, and as more information for the book comes out, I, I guarantee the, uh, the, the Dan and Benny page will, will help hype it up for you. Thank you so much. You guys are so amazing. Our pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you again, Francis, uh, for all your time and to the continued memory of your dad. Anybody, like you said, his judo stuff is out there. His wrestling matches are out there. His debut, especially some of the interviews he gives on Stampede, where he really pulls the curtain back on Canada, which was one of the biggest and best promotions ever. So, again, thanks. Thank you for all, so much. And we'll uh, we'll definitely have to stay in touch with maybe talking more down the road as you get closer to the book coming out. Yes, thank you, guys. Take care. Take care right, now. Good night, Francis. Good night. There it is, Benny. Another talk about legends. Again, wow. I mean, we say it. We say it. How that word is thrown around far too much, but he was such a legend. And the fact that I mean, really, you had his influence. Like she mentioned, the the influence with the Stone Cold and and how he kind of revolutionized the heel in that era like i don't think he gets enough credit for as important as he was to the business i bet you know i bet mcmahon actually models you know parts of stone cold off of his character because he truly oh, yeah, wouldn't an, he, he would have been an anti-hero as, as a baby face absolutely i wouldn't be surprised and you know the sad the sad truth is she's she's 100 percent right if if bad news allen is a bald tough white guy he's probably four time four-time Intercontinental Champion headlining WrestleMania at least once or twice. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't get it. I mean, other promotions were smart enough to recognize his greatness. It's a shame that, uh, that you know, McMahon didn't. Well, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, we, we've, we've, we've had, we've discussed the territories on the show. I mean, Stu Hart, uh, you know, Eddie Graham down in, in Florida, uh, Japan, Inoki. I mean, at no point would would you would did anybody ever accuse those guys of some of the horrible things that have been said about Vince McMahon? And I think Allen's run really kind of showed that. Absolutely. And you saw it with some of the early treatments of the the Junkyard Dog and Ron Simmons and some of the other names that came and went at the time. So, yeah, very sad. true, very true, but. It's all about the all about the, the good times and and there's so much out there for him and I thought this was a great 
great conversation. I can't wait. I can't wait for that book because that's that's a story I definitely want to hear. And, and I'll, I mean, <laughs> you and I together, I'm sure we both have shelves that are just full of of wrestling books. So I look forward to adding another one. I, I need to add one to my collection. I'll definitely that will be one of them for sure. There you go. Well, for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastian. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.